Um, right, now this is the time we come to, to hear and read from God's word and, and hear and speak to us. Uh, so we're, in, we're doing a series in John's gospel, John's chapter 13 through to 17 this term. And today we're in John chapter 14, verses 5 to, four, five to 14. So if you've got a Bible to hand, uh, whether it's on your phone, if you've got a physical Bible, uh, please do, do grab that and turn to John chapter 14, verses 5 through to 14. Great, let me read. <clears throat> Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we're so thankful for your word, your word that is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Father, we pray that your word would cut into our hearts this afternoon. Father, would you speak to us by your spirit? Help us to see Jesus so clearly. Help us to see him as the way. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. So um, I, had a, I had a friend who once took me to the Arsenal football stadium a few years back. Um, if you, sorry if, if you're not a football fan. Don't worry, it's not going to be a lot about football. But stick with me. Um, if you don't know Arsenal, it's a football club in North London. They wear red. Anyway, uh, it's just after they built this new Emirates Stadium. Really nice, shiny new stadium. And um, normally the, the game's at 3 o'clock, but he was like, Mike, um, you need to dress quite smart and come at about 11. I think you're going to watch football. Like, what are you talking about? But the thing was, he's an executive member of Arsenal Football Club. So he, gets, he has this exclusive access to this area for certain people only. So there I am, I'm, I'm going up this lift. I'm like, he's got this special key card that gets in. Go up this lift, get out. And there's this like, restaurant. He sits down. And these waiters start bringing these trays with massive bowls. Like, and I look at the menu, there's like six courses. First course, soup. I'm thinking, wow, that bowl is huge. I'm going to be so full. And it gets to your seat and it's like a tiny little thing right in the middle. What is that? Um, it, did, it did taste pretty good. And then like, during the meal, the, the chef comes out and he's like, hey, nice to see you again. He goes up to my friend, nice to see you again, shakes his hand. And he's like, oh, nice to see you again to me. I'm like, first time I'm here. But, you know, I, I'm nervous. I'm like, this is executive suite. Oh, so I just do what I think is right. So, oh, thank you. I just carry on eating. And then the football game starts. And it just goes straight from the seat 
you just walk out and it's there, like the balcony. And it's just like a view like you get on, on the TV screen. You know what I mean? Like, I just realized what that... Yeah, so what's the point of going to the stand room? So it's, it's basically what it means. It's a great view. Because if you sit in some other seats, you only get like a little bit of the corner or whatever. You get this massive view of the, of the pitch. And you've got the atmosphere and everything going as well. Absolutely amazing. I, got ne I never got invited back because he found out I was a Man U fan. Uh, that was it. But here's the point. Why, I'm, why am I telling you this? Because being a member, it brings lots of rights. It gives him and me access to stuff that was really exclusive, that not everybody had access to. There were, I don't know, 60,000 people in the stadium that day, and only a handful had access to this exclusive zone. Certain people with certain conditions could join. That was it. And we see that a lot in things around us, don't we? In sports clubs to Facebook groups even. A lot of Facebook groups nowadays, they're like, you've got to have these conditions on being a member. You've got to post in this way. It's moderated by an admin. There are lots of conditions attached to becoming a member of any sort of group. Some of those conditions are really high bar, very exclusive. Others may be less so. But this afternoon, what I want us to see is, what does Jesus say about becoming a follower of him? Because the passage that we've just read, particularly looking at verse 6, many of us would see that as a very exclusive claim. It makes us ask lots of questions. So what I wanted to do this afternoon is to see, well, look, what is Jesus actually claiming? How can Jesus make such a claim? And why does it matter? So let's look firstly, what is Jesus claiming? He's claiming this. Know that Jesus is the only way. Know that Jesus is the only way. We're looking at these final chapters in John where it's the last night. Jesus is spending with his disciples together at this meal and then he's saying, look, I'm going to go. I'm leaving. I'm departing soon. And you get this sense in the disciples. They're like, what do you mean? Jesus tells them lots of things about you know, what's going to happen. Just, their minds are swirling and they're just stuck on this thing. Where are you going? We saw that last week with Peter. Where are you going, Jesus? And it's starting to rub off on the other disciples. Jesus said in, in chapter 14, verse 2, look, I'm going to my father's house. 14, verse 3, I'm preparing a place for you there. Seems pretty clear. But then Thomas, verse 5 today, Lord, we don't actually know where you're going. How can we know the way? It's a simple question. But Jesus' answer to Thomas is astounding. It is a huge claim, possibly one of the biggest claims that Jesus makes. He says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not I am a way, a truth, a life. He's saying I am the way, the truth, the life. Jesus wants us to know and hear that he is the only way, the only truth, the only life in this world. Everything we're looking for, everything about us centers on him, on Jesus. Now that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because I think our culture's really shifted. You know, when I was telling you, telling you that story about being in this awesome executive fan base zone, whatever you call it, with my, my mate, didn't a part of you just feel like, why? That's so exclusive. I don't really feel comfortable. I don't like that idea. Because our culture loves to embrace the idea of inclusivity. That is big on the agenda at the moment in our cultural times. But when you hear what Jesus is saying, he's not saying, look, Come and join this club or this society, which is like a nice addition that you have to your life. This is a statement where he's claiming it on life itself. 
your direction in life, the reality of your life, the very nature of your life itself, is all found in me, in Jesus. Sounds almost outrageous when you hear it. But here's the key thing. I want you to pause for a moment because when somebody makes an outrageous claim like that, even though instinctively you might be thinking, I just want to dismiss that, I don't like that idea, the first thing you want to do is to check who is speaking, who is this person, do they have a right to say this? And if you come to know them, then you might actually see, yeah, actually, it's not that outrageous given who they are. It's like if um, somebody sitting here said, stood up and said, you know what, I am the real-life Spider-Man. I can scale the shard, the Eiffel Tower, without any ropes or harnesses. I even have a red costume. You're probably thinking, that, that is outrageous. Nobody can do that. But the key question is, who is making that claim? Now, if I stood up and I said that, you, you have every right to say, mate, jog on. But if it was a guy called Alain Robert, he's a French urban climber who's actually scaled the Eiffel Tower, even the Burj Khalifa, if you don't know what that is, that's in Dubai, that's the tallest building in the world, 828 meters tall. In 2011, he scaled it without anything, just his bare hands and feet. In 2012, he was busted in the shard. He was sitting in the foyer, and they were like, we recognize this guy. He's going to try and scale the shard. So they signed an injunction, and they got him out of there. So we may never get to see him climbing the shard, sadly. But look, Jesus' claim is on a life-changing scale, not just scaling a building. He's saying all of life now and into eternity centers on me. So the question that we need to ask is, okay, so who is Jesus to be making such a statement? Throughout John's Gospel, there have been hints and pictures of Jesus, who he is, that have been getting stronger and stronger. There's been this echo of who Jesus is, and we see it again here. Two small words. When he replies to Thomas, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We've heard it at points throughout John's Gospel. It's the penultimate time that we're going to hear it here. If you, if you like this kind of technical stuff, it's, it's a construction of ego amia, two words that come together, which indicates that Jesus is pointing to this great I am statement, this great I am title of God back in Exodus, in the Old Testament. You might, remember, you might be familiar with the scene. And Moses is out there in the wilderness. He's tending to some sheep and goats, and then he sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. He's curious, so he goes over there, and God speaks to him. God calls him out and says, you know what? I've heard the cry of my people. I'm going to go myself and rescue them from captivity, from slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. And so Moses asked God, look, so what do I tell the Israelites your name is when they ask? And God says, I am who I am. That is what you have to tell them. Now, now that phrase, we could do a whole sermon on that phrase alone, but God is saying, look, I am the all-sufficient God. I'm infinitely holy. I'm infinitely powerful. I'm not dependent on anything or anyone. I am of a different order. I am the one who made you, who created you, and, and everything around you. I'm the one who upholds you, who gives you life, who gives you breath, makes the sun and rain fall on everything around you. I am the one and only God. And here is that great I am, come down as a man sitting in this room with these disciples in the Middle East, having dinner. And that is exactly why Jesus can make such an astounding claim. Because Jesus has been showing everybody throughout John's Gospel that he is God. 
He's been saying that I and the Father are one, that he is God the Son who is three in one with Father, Son, and Spirit. And because he is God, nobody is outside his reach. Nobody can escape his view. God is the one who gives life to everything and everyone. God is the one who sustains everything and everyone. God is the very truth on which the world stands. And God is wanting to bring his people back to him, which is why Jesus specifically states that I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a claim that only the giver of life and truth could ever make. Jesus isn't making this claim as some wise sage or some good teacher, as sometimes people think of Jesus. You know, they think, oh, he's a really cool guy and said some nice things back in the noughties, you know, the original noughties. But here he is, he's telling us that he is the very son of God. That is why Jesus says in verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. That is why he can say that. And the key thing it shows us is this, that everything in this claim, everything that John has been showing us throughout his gospel, everything in our lives today, it centers on Jesus. If Jesus is the Son of God, as he says he is, then he has every right to make this sort of claim. And here's the thing I've been thinking about. When you see Jesus as the great I am, as God the Son who's come in flesh, I think this claim starts to sound quite different. Remember, we're talking about kind of being in clubs and groups. There's often exclusivity that comes with lots of conditions. Not everybody can be a member. See, you can't be very easily be a member of this Arsenal executive fan group. You might not be interested in it. But you, to be a part of that group, you have to have certain levels of income, certain social status. Probably would be a good idea to be an Arsenal fan as well. But the point is, it is very, very exclusive. But if you look at Jesus' claim, if Jesus is God, then everything sits under his rule. Nobody can escape God's grace or his judgment. And so what Jesus is in fact saying, if you flip it around, is this. Anyone can come to God through me. Irrespective of your class, your race, your social status, your income, however you want to see it, there is only one condition to come to God. It's to know Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. It's to personally know Jesus for who he is, as the great I am. That is why we as a church want to work hard at being welcoming to all people, no matter their background or class or ethnicity. Anyone can come to God through Jesus. To be a Christian doesn't mean you have to have lived a certain lifestyle or been to certain places or had certain experiences. It's all on him. Which I, which, this is why I think it's actually a really inclusive claim. Because it's just one condition that you know who Jesus is. So the key question that we ask is this. Okay, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to me? Is he who he says he is? Do you see Jesus as the great I am, as God himself come down as man for his people? If you think his claim is mad, then what's madder is that God would come in the form of man to be with his people. But maybe you're new to Christian things today, you're you're grappling with Christianity, you're not sure if it's for you. Then let me tell you this, it all centers on Jesus. Come to know him, look at who he is, listen to what he says, look at what he's done, because it all pivots on Jesus Christ. And if you're here today as a Christian, but you're feeling that you're wavering, there are things going on in your life at the moment that's making you question and doubt, then come back to Jesus. Because remember the Jesus you know, the God-man who says, you know what, I am the way. 
I'm all you need. Come to me. Now, with that in view, we need to think, okay, why does this matter? What, Jesus is the only way to what or to who? We're going to look at three things quite quickly. The first is this. Know Jesus to see God. Know Jesus to see God. See, right at the start of creation, when God first created everything, he created humans to be with him, to hang out with God in the garden. People actually had access to the, the execu- executive suite with God, if you like, if you like think it that way. Except here, nobody was excluded. And man, was it good. Six-course menu with deceptively huge bowls? Nah. Thousand-course menu. You could eat pretty much whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted. He said, look, this is all yours. And the head chef, as it were, he wouldn't just come out to oh, just menial handshakes. Oh, nice to see you again, Mr. Son. It's none of that stuff. The creator God would be there saying, you know, I know you, I made you, I love you, I love spending time with you. And there, people knew who they were. They had the fullness of life in God's presence. They lived with the truth of God. They knew their purpose, to be with him. But then they lost their way. In the depths of human hearts was sin, sin that twists the truth of God. Satan provoked And we respond. Our ancestors took God's word, his truth, and twisted it and distorted it. That meant there was no longer access to the tree of life. There was no more living in the presence of God to experience the fullness of life. Instead, humanity was promised death. And the way to the Father was blocked. There was no way to see God face to face any longer. And I think today we live with this result of sin separated from the Father, we as humanity have lost our way. I think that's why we get uncomfortable with exclusivity. There's this deep-rooted fear in our hearts. We hate being left out. We hate that idea. If you've ever been excluded from anything, it's a really horrible feeling. I just wonder if that reflects the reality, that fear we have of being left out forever, excluded in eternity from the goodness of God. We've lost our way in sense of purpose and direction. Our generation has the most choice, probably historically, ever. But without any direction, it is crippling. The number of conversations I have with friends, every decision they make is overshadowed by the sense of, is this right? What if I miss out on something else? What if there's something better around the corner? They feel lost with all the choice. Just to give you an idea, just to give you a flavor, um, if you're really bored and you wanted to test out Google Strength, uh, just type in the letter 1 or the letter A and you'll find out how many, what's the maximum number of pages that they can return in a research result. It's 25 billion, which is quite a lot. Just to give you a flavor of where our culture sits, how to feel happy has 2.6 billion pages. What is the purpose of life? Over 16 billion search results. People are desperately seeking for direction. Truth? People say we live in a post-truth world now. There's no overarching truth or reality, but anything goes. Lots of mini-truths out there that we can pick and choose from, and we see that polarizing our culture more and more today. See, on the surface, we as humanity seem to have progressed and advanced on tech and economics. But it seems like we've lost the sense of direction, of real meaning and truth, of what fullness of life really means and looks like. 
And I think this reflects our ultimate lostness, where we've lost our way to God. Because we rejected him as our creator and said to him, look, we don't need you, we can do this in our own way. We've actually closed the door on the life and truth found only in him. And so ever since the fall, ever since sin, humanity can no longer see God. No one can stand and look at God face to face and live. Because of our sin, there is no way that people could stand before a pure and holy God and survive. And Philip seems to get this. Look at verse 8. Philip says, look, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. He seems to get that. If you see God face to face, if you see the Father, then you know that that way has been restored, that sin has been dealt with, and now we can stand before God. Except what Philip has done is he's missed the way. Philip's saying to Jesus, look, Jesus, show us the Father, and then we'll know that you are the way. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Know me as the way, and I'll show you the Father. Know Jesus to see God. Only God can save us from sin. No other being can. And that is why Jesus has come as God in flesh. That is why Jesus is saying, I am the way. And I've got to say this, on the, if you, on the flip side of this is a warning. If you don't know Jesus, then you don't see God. Then you haven't been restored. Your sin has not been dealt with, and that means that that way remains closed that ultimately you will be excluded from the presence of God's family in eternity, from the presence of God himself. And that is a place where it is not good. But here's where the hope lies. You can know and see God now, today. Look at verse seven, second half of verse 7. Jesus says this, From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Three key words there, from now on. This is the final night before Jesus is about to leave the disciples. Remember back in chapter 13, Judas, betraying Jesus, has gone out into the night. And Jesus says, now the Son of Man is glorified. My time has come. And he's saying this again today. From now on, from tonight, as we step out into tomorrow, you're going to see God so clearly. It's like that superhero moment. I love the Marvel series. Iron Man is one of my favorite characters. And it's like when his identity is revealed to the whole world. Oh, there's Tony Stark. That's not a spoiler. I'm pretty sure you get that Tony is the main... Anyway, for those in the movie, his, his friends and the other characters, they don't quite get it. But then there's that moment, you know, when he's floating around in his iron suit and his, his face mask comes up. And they're like, oh, that's it. Now we see. That is the moment. Iron Man is Tony Stark. Except with Jesus, this now is not a moment where people look up in awe and wonder and applause. Instead, it was a moment when people mock and scorn him, spit on him, shake their heads, point their fingers and tell him, look, come down, save yourself. He had no iron suit to cover himself. He said, Jesus, God the Son, the great I am, left to hang completely naked on a cross. This is exactly the way Jesus is talking about. It's the way of the cross. You see, to truly see God, you need to come and see Jesus nailed to a cross because that is where we see God most clearly. It's amazing. Other religions will happily say, oh, God creates. Our God is powerful. Our God is mighty. But no other religion even suggests that the same God, out of love for his people, comes to die for them in the form of a man. 
And so it's at the cross that we see God, that he's not just an all-powerful, almighty God who sustains all things, a creator God who sits up there. But our God is a God who comes to save his people. A God who comes out of love to be the way for his people to come back to him. The sin in our hearts and lives has to be dealt with. So God says, look, this is the way. I'm going to come and die in your place, take that sin upon myself so that you die to sin, that you may be free from those chains and be forgiven and have the fullness of life. So you can now come and stand before God once more, that you can see him face to face. This is why we need to know Jesus, because Jesus is the way back to the Father, back to God where we belong, back to to be with the very God who made us, the very God who loves us. So here's a question. Do you, do you know Jesus as the way back to God? As the very I am who came to die for you? Because if you do, then you are seeing God. You see him now and you will see him face to face in eternity. And there it will be so very good. Try and move a bit quicker. Here's the second thing. Know Jesus to believe the truth. Jesus says in verse 10, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus moves us from knowing to seeing to believing because he doesn't want you to just know and see God, but he wants you to believe the truth. The truth that Jesus is God who has come to give you life. And he tells us that we can come to believe in two ways, two related ways, by his word and by his works. By his word, this has been made explicit throughout John's gospel. From the very first chapter, Jesus is revealed as the very word of God in flesh who has come to bring all glory to God. And Jesus goes on to say a lot of things in John's gospel. But just listen to the the I am statement. Since we're there, Listen to the I am statements throughout. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Just those alone show time and time again how Jesus is coming to give life. Doing things that only God can do. This is the truth that he speaks with the very authority of God. So come to know Jesus. Listen carefully to his word Listen to the many ways he speaks of himself, of what he's come to do, of his great promises to show you that he is the way and the life. But then he says also, he speaks of his works, those works that are there to support his word. Verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. It's interesting, isn't it, that the word work appears in verse 10 related to God's word and how the Father speaks through Jesus. But then in verse 11, related to the evidence of works, which refers to the signs and wonders that Jesus has been doing. Specifically in John's Gospel, seven signs. And he's saying, look, the two are linked. Because the work of God is to point to Jesus as his Son. The Word, what Jesus has been saying, shows us that. But verse 11, his works, the signs and wonders are important because they affirm the truth of what Jesus says, of who he is. It's like if one day you hear that somebody in our church family can ride a unicycle. You're like, really? 
Hang on, it's no longer one day. Let me tell you, today is the day that you've heard that somebody in our church family can ride a unicycle. That truth exists, it's there. But when you see that person riding that unicycle, you know that's confirmed, that's, a, that's true. Maybe that person will ride a unicycle again one day, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not me. I can't climb buildings, I can't ride unicycles. But that's the point. Each of the signs that John records... Uses, he records it to show and confirm who Jesus is and what he's doing. John says that at the end of his gospel, in John 21, these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here is, know Jesus. Know Jesus to believe in the truth that he has come for you. Whether you're new to Christian things or is seeking assurances in your faith, know him. Listen carefully to what he says because he is the truth. And if you need confirmation of that, look at the amazing signs, the wonders that he does recorded in the Gospels to confirm and show you that Jesus is the Son of God. These aren't just empty words he's saying, but his words are true and effective. Here's the third and final thing. Know Jesus to live a great life. This is truly astounding what Jesus says at the end. Know Jesus to live a great life, not only in a, into eternity, but for life now, for life today. Verse 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. So when there's been a great leader, and that person leaves or retires... We all know it's really hard to follow on and live up to those standards. The expectation is, for those following on, you know what, it's likely to tank. It's going to be so hard to maintain those great standards. It's like when Sir Alex Ferguson retired from Man U. Disaster. Whereas Angela Merkel draws to a close as the PM of Germany and a huge influence in Europe. She's incredible what she's done. Or the great progress of Martin Luther King Jr. for civil rights For those following behind, it seems like a near impossible task to follow any form of greatness. Let me tell you this. Well, Jesus, he's God in flesh. He has taught his disciples life-changing truths, shown them incredible things. And so he turns and looks to his disciples and says, oh, by the way, if you haven't clocked it yet, I'm God in flesh. And now, I'm leaving. The heads are swirling around. Our teacher, our master, our Lord, he's leaving us. This is going to be an end of an era. How are you to follow this greatness? And here's the astounding thing that Jesus says. I don't know if you noticed it when we were reading through. Verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Greater things than the creator of the universe. How? Now we need to be careful here. We don't just pick out this verse and go, ah, right. Great, now I can go and walk on water. Let's go to the Thames and just go for it. Or I'm going to go and calm a tsunami. That's not what Jesus is saying. This isn't about what we think looks great or greatness in service to us. Jesus is saying, look, firstly, I'm going to the Father. It's his final night. Jesus is about to go to the way of the cross. Him going to the Father means he's going to the cross. And it's at the cross where we see all the more clearly who Jesus is. We all the more clearly see who God is. And so we live today in an era now that we have this powerful message 
in us and with us to proclaim to others. Secondly, Jesus is saying, look, verse 13, and continuing his thought, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, this is about making God look great. We do greater things to make God look great. Jesus promises that we'll do these greater things when we do things in the name of the glory of God, in his name, in the, for the glory of God. It's carrying on what Jesus has been doing up to this point, pointing people the way back to the Father, bringing people into truth and into life for God's glory. The third thing is this, verse 14. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. It's pointing towards prayer, asking Jesus in his name, which basically says that I'm not doing this in my own strength. I didn't do this to look great. I'm doing this trusting you, Jesus, only with a view to you. A friend of mine came to Praise God, came to know Jesus a few years back. And she, this is what she said. I came to know of the love of God for me when I realized what Jesus had done for me on the cross. It was so clear. I realized he could be the only way. And then once I'd realized that, I looked back and I recalled the many people along the way who had spoken this truth to me, not just for my sake, but because they believed this was a key way to glorify God. And the biggest thing I came to realize was that two of my closest friends had been quietly praying for me ever since I'd known them. That is what Jesus means by doing greater works. We spend much of our lives wishing we were great at something. Well, I do anyway. I don't know about you. And I realize more and more that I'm a jack of a few trades and master of none. But this is where we see greatness, a great life. When we see the way of the cross the power of the cross to bring life for people, when we live to glorify God's name in Jesus, in the way, the truth, and the life, and when we humbly ask him to help us to do this. And how great is it going to be when we get there? And we hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So will you know Jesus, know that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that everything rests on him. And so know him so that you can see God so clearly now, today. Know him so that you might believe him through his word and his works. And know him so that you may live a life that does greater things than Jesus did. I pray that we would, as a church, know Jesus deeply as a way, the truth, and the life for his glory. Amen. Let's let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Father, may we know him as the way to come to see you. May we know him as the truth. And may we know him as the life so that we may go on to do greater works that he has promised for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.